This is a four-part series entitled um, Pursuing or Levels of Spiritual Health, Living a Spiritually Healthy Life. And we're going to just methodically walk through this and pray the Lord's uh, understanding. I'll read just the first couple lines for you and then we'll and then and then I'll expound just a moment and we'll we'll kind of work this way in somewhat of a counterintuitive measure achieving spiritual health does not begin with what is added to our daily walk now that is not always accepted but rather I submit tonight what is removed Additions such as prayer and biblical study are needed. Yes, it's true. This we know for certain. However, an introduction of spiritual health or spiritual healthy measures demand that we move impeding elements. We have to move them. We have to displace those impeding elements. In a a small analogy to... To traverse any um, any place, you have to leave where you are. Sometimes you have to uh, maneuver around certain obstacles to get to where you want to be. And in this particular uh, venue, uh, we we know that that there are a lot of obstacles to living a spiritual, healthy life. Now, there are a lot of people who, who would consider themselves um, Christian, uh, but, but might not consider their walk with God spiritually healthy. And one of the things that we want to emphasize at New Life is, is living a, an overcoming or a spiritual, healthy life, and it's a walk with God. Now, it's, if you peel back all the layers and you get down to core, uh, you'll, you'll notice that, that the, the core is a little more simplistic. There's a lot of layers, a lot of outward things that people put on themselves or present as image or, or as um, superlatives uh, to to their Christian experience or to the walk with God. And sometimes they are, they are done, they do that because they feel like that's what's expected of them. And sometimes it's to hide uh, some main issues or some problems in their lives. Uh, but if you peel that away and get down to the core, um, that's, when you, that's when you can see the real um, the real evidence of, of where you are in your, in your life, your spiritual life. Um, I have a good friend who who uh, contacted COVID, and he has been on oxygen for now twelve months as a pastor preacher. He preached his first sermon a week or so ago, not probably not even a week ago, and he has an oxygen tank, and he's wearing the oxygen tube while he's preaching, and. I got the YouTube version of him today, and and um, 
as he's preaching, you know, he's, he's gasping for air a little bit. But um, uh, he has come, as he would say, face to face with death. And it has changed a lot of his thinking about what living for the Lord looks like, what it means. And so there are times in our lives when we have to remove um, facades and uh, we have to get honest and real with ourselves and be true. And if we're going to affect our world in the way that we want to, we're really going to have to dig down into our hearts and remove things um, that are hindering us in our walk with the Lord. Nobody really wants to admit carnality or that they have some carnal places in their lives. No one wants to really admit that maybe there's lust. Um, but, uh, but these things are prevalent and, and, they, and they afflict all of us. And we have to constantly work on carnality and lust and even the cares of this world, which, which we'll get to here in a moment. If you say, I want to be spiritual, I, I, I really want to have a walk with God. I want to be in tune with God. To accomplish that, um, you might say, well, I'm just going to start reading my Bible every day. Or I'm going to go on a, on a, on a, on a 10-day fast. All of those things are, are wonderful. But the problem is that, that the obstacles are still there. And the things that conflict you are still there. It's kind of like a crash diet or a New Year's resolution or something that you do um, to study for a test, an all-nighter, some, some kind of crash study. But when you're done, you, you end up going back to the same place you were before. And I have, I've experienced this a little bit, uh, and other people have too, and, and some folks have told me, you know, I went on this diet, it was great, but, uh, but I went back uh, to my old habits. And so... The, the diet um, really didn't help them in the long run. It was just a quick fix for a moment, but it didn't last. And the reason why is because the lifestyle didn't change. Because it was something to, 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 uh, to engage in for a, for a moment of time, but it didn't, it didn't sustain them. And being spiritually healthy is a lifestyle, it's a lifestyle. It's a way of life to live a spiritual, healthy life. Now, now, as I teach this in this month, I'm going to say a whole lot of things. There's going to be definitions and words that you won't hear uh, from, from the world. You won't hear from in, in a secular uh, venue. You won't hear it in, in any kind of setting because the things of God are, are things that consist of light and truth. And unless you're in the word and you're pursuing the Lord, everything else is darkness. Now we can negotiate that. We can compromise that. But there's a lot of darkness in the world today. I'm not saying this any different than, than, than a thousand years ago or two thousand years ago. But this is the day in which we live. And so the more, the closer we get to the Lord the more we realize how dark the world is and how, and how dark um, the day is. So the first level to achieve the spiritual healthy life is removal. And removal is part 
of, of the process, it's, it's, it's very much like someone who's addicted to something and, and the first way that they, that they come to their senses or recover is to admit, I have an issue. I have a problem. Uh, the, the, a person, man or woman, whoever, uh, who, has, uh, who is intemperate and, and is violent, um, so violent that, that the anger overwhelms them. Um, there, there is a, a condition, I don't know if it's a condition or not, but it's been listed at that, where, where someone becomes so angry and so violent that they can actually, they can faint, they can black out, they can lose memory, and their blood pressure rises so high they almost lose control. It's almost as if, as if they are intoxicated. And, and that particular condition, if, if this is the case, um, that might be an extreme, but there's a, there's a few steps before that. If, if someone has huge anger and intemperance problems, they'll never get out of that until they admit, okay, I have an issue. Something has to be removed from, from my life. If you like to be close to God, this is your choice. This is not my choice for you. I'm like you. I'm working on my walk with the Lord. I'm trying to remove things from my heart and my mind and my spirit so that those things don't impede God's voice in my life. When you are on a fast, when you start fasting, what are you doing? You are removing food from your life. And when you go on a fast, you're drawn to channels like the Food Network and, and cooking shows. And, and you just want to open up the refrigerator and just every day, just look at it, look at it, look at it, look at that, look at it. And, and I don't know, maybe not. Um, I, I, I'm, you're, you're, you look at, what are you doing? You're, you're, you're taking something away from yourself. Uh, it's self-denial. Um, so... When, when you're on a fast, what's taken away actually does certain things to your, to your body. Now, physically, uh, impurities come. You know, if you're on a long fast, you probably should brush your teeth four or five times a day because you have impurities um, and you have a bad taste in your mouth and, and, um, and toxins are, are being released. And, and the longer you fast, that's what happens. But also, the same thing happens in your spirit. So when I start fasting the first couple of days, I'm irritable. Well, first of all, your blood sugar is low, so you're irritable. But there's other things that happen too. You know, you don't feel good about your walk with God. And, and, and you don't feel good about, about your day. Why is that? Because it's a purging also of your spirit. And the Lord starts talking to you and you start realizing what you need to remove. And God starts speaking to you about what you need to change. Now, when God tells you what you need to change, you ought to listen to that. But when you are not inclined to listen to the Spirit, you may not know what to change. Or you may not feel that draw of changing your life or changing something you're watching, listening, or speaking out of your mouth. This removal is so profound that that unless we lest we uh, uh, pay particular attention to it, we'll be like this roller coaster Christian, up one day and down, and then all of a sudden up and down, up and down. Um, That's kind of how it is, not only just with your walk with God, but with relationships. And 
someone comes to church and they join the church and it's exciting. It's kind of like getting married. And all of a sudden you're on this honeymoon and everything's so good and he looks so wonderful and she's so beautiful and, and the honeymoon is going good and everything's a high and a few months later or a year later, then there's conflict. You, you get into the church and everything's going so well, but it doesn't take too long and then there's all of a sudden there's a conflict and it dips back down and the, the beautiful part about this is that when you make it past the conflict, the relationship is deeper and better than it was on the honeymoon. That's right. And a lot of people don't realize that coming into a church setting, you'll have this euphoria, wonderful things happening, and you won't realize that there's a struggle until you hit a conflict. That's a, usually it's a personality conflict. Uh, sometimes it's something, it's a disappointment. Uh, you know, you, you don't, you didn't, you realize uh, not everybody likes you or you didn't really get along with someone else here in the church or something happens and there's a conflict. But if you can get past the conflict, which, which, which demands love and forgiveness and temperance and patience and forbearance, man, now the relationship gets better because it's deeper. Even in a relationship, a young marriage, when the, when, the, when the young couple goes through uh, suffering or loss, it really solidifies their relationship. The relationship is really never solidified during those wonderful months when there's no issue, when there are no issues. And such is the case with our life with the Lord too. And so when we come up against something that needs to be removed, now there's a challenge. He's a wonderful God until he challenges you. He's a, he's a great God and a, and, a, and a blessed Savior until he asks you to do what's found in Matthew 16 and 24. He said, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself, uh-oh, take up his cross and follow me. Notice that denial leads to discipleship. I'm going to make a statement here, and, it, and, it, and this is a statement of, of experience. So I didn't read in a book. There is no such thing as discipleship until there is first denial. And a host of people want to be in discipleship, but have no relationship with denial. You deny yourself before you can ever become a disciple. And God is calling people to be disciples. In fact, in the commission, he said, go and make disciples. Yeah. Not church members, not attenders, not affiliates, not affiliates, but disciples. We are called to be disciples, but we can't get there until we have denial. And denial is a removal of something. You see, the pursuit of Jesus is first accomplished by taking up the cross, denial, taking up the cross. In this instant, of course, we know that Jesus was asking, uh, was talking to the, the ruler and, and he told him to sell everything and then come and follow me. And it began with removal of temporal elements or temporal things. And, and the ruler, the Bible says, left sorrowful because he considered the cost. He thought about what he had to get rid of in order to, 
to follow Jesus Christ. He had to forgo something to gain something. And that is really part of what this is. You, you have to give up to gain. Uh, Jesus went on to say, if you save your life, you lose it. If you lose your life, you save it. Now that, that, is not, that does not set well with a lot of people. Because what they want is, they want, they want God and they want their preferences. They want, they want the euphoria of, of, of feeling his spirit. And they want to retain their, their personal uh, ideas and endeavors. But spiritual health begins with a dismissal of fleshly sin and weight. It begins there. So there's always this, this challenge. If you're going to be spiritually healthy, here's what you do. You remove, you give up something, and then you pursue. Here's, here's the scripture. Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses. Now, this, this would refer to people. And, and I think the reference would probably be to people who have passed or testimonies of people who have gone through all of the things that you've gone through. We are, we are compassed. I mean, it's almost like they're in the stadium. You're on the field, they're in the stadium. They're watching you. That could be for your good. It could also be for your detriment. They've, they're going to say, I went through cancer. I lost my child. I, I went through rejection. I, I was belittled, but I made it. And I held on. And I loved God. And I died in the faith. It also could be to your detriment. So if we whine, if we complain, if we think that we're the only ones, they're in the stand saying, oh no, hold on a second. I've been where you are. You have no excuse. You have no reason to doubt God. He's still a faithful God. Let me just tell you about this cloud of witnesses. They're all around us. They precede you. You don't know their names, but there's a host of people who have gone through all the things you've gone through. They've gone through things that they couldn't change a physical feature about themselves and they were ridiculed. They, they went through poverty. They were stricken. Many of them were beaten. They, there's a lot of things that happened that they, they could not change in the course of their life. I just, I want you to know that this cloud is a powerful witness and that it should be used for our benefit. But now, now the writer says, because of that, let's lay aside every weight and sin. Weight and sin. You should underline the word weight and you should underline the word sin. Now, I, I will just share this. My thought is that these are two different things. Sinful activities and sin is against God. Spelled out in the scripture. The Bible says, don't you know that all liars will make their place in the lake that burns with fire? <laughs> Can't lie and go to heaven. You're going to go to hell. This is what the Bible says. It's not my word. That's what the Lord said. All cheaters and whoremongers and drunkards. And the Bible says, in the last day, the unthankful, effeminate, men without natural affection. These are these are sinful practices, perilous times, the Bible said. Mockers and scoffers. And you, you, you look at the list, it's a litany of, of sinful things spelled out in the scripture. But weight could be very different. Weight could be things that you added to yourself that, in, that, that hurt your walk with God, slow you down. We, 
we've heard this all of our lives, that he will not put on us more than we can bear. That's true. But I do wonder, have we done it to ourselves? And then we blame God and say, well, Lord, you know, you told me that, well, you're the one who put all that on you. You went for the complex life. You went for things. You bought more than you can afford. Now you're working overtime just to pay for what you could not afford. Yes. So what is the Bible saying? Run the race, but before you run, you give up something. Once again, here we are. Before we run, we have to learn to lay aside both weight and sin. The race, run with patience. It comes after the removal of the inhibitor. Always after the removal of the inhibitor. I would just say in 2023, it's time for you to be free. Set yourself free. Set yourself free. God has already called you to a life of freedom. I'm not talking about self-condemnation. I'm talking about the things that encumber your walk with God. Set yourself free. And you can. You can. But the removal of certain elements from your life is the only way for you to run this race. Even within the gospel message, death always precedes burial. It always precedes resurrection. No one can rise from the dead until they die. You have to die. You have to die. In fact, the Bible say, says that, that for a harvest to come, the seed has to be in the ground. It has to die. You have to die to your selfish ambitions, to your thoughts, to your ideas, and align yourself with the Holy Spirit. And, and there can be no filling of the Holy Spirit without repentance. Because he won't put new wine in an old wineskin. Read it in your scripture. So in order to take on a new life, you have to dismiss the old life. The new, when the new is pursued, but you're not getting rid of the old, then there is a major frustration and an unspiritual, uh, I'm sorry, a, a spiritually unhealthy existence that takes place. Because you're trying to negotiate, I still want to live this way. And I'd like to have God. That is, it's kind of like me on Monday, God on Sunday. My thoughts, my life on Thursday, but I'd like to have the Lord on Wednesday. And that never works because God is a jealous God in that he doesn't want to share you with the world. He won't share you with the elements of the world. So instead of asking, will that send me to hell? Is God going to send me to hell if I do that? Your question should be, does that please the Lord? Am I found pleasing unto the Lord? Amen. Okay. <laughs> mm-hmm. I want you to consider a few things here. This is Psalm chapter 1. Psalm 1. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. In his law doth he meditate day and night. That's the same verbiage found in Joshua 1 and 8. If you want to know what success is, look up Joshua chapter 1 verse 8. It's the only time in the Bible where the word success is found. And it is in conjunction with Psalm 1 and verse 2. Verse 3, 
He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water. This is the poetry of David trying to explain in an imagery of the most profound thing he can think of to the reader of his day. He'll be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. This is, here is the ultimate goal of all people, verse 3. The ungodly are not so, but they are like the chaff, which the wind driveth away. What is the chaff? So if you took a, a stalk of wheat, at the top of the stalk is the grain. That's the good part. That's what you make the bread from. That's, that's, that's the healthy part. The chaff is, is what holds it up. And you, it has no nutrients. It, it, you, you don't eat it. It's, it's a, it's a, uh, you don't want to grind it with the wheat. When they, when they thresh the wheat, uh, the early days of threshing, they would, they would use the wind and, and the wind would blow away the chaff. Because the chaff is light, it's airy, but it's not useful. Um, it's a dried, almost like a dried grass, but it's very coarse. And then the heavy grain would fall back down. And so... Many times they would go to a high place where there was wind and they would have a, an ox and, and they would train the ox to stomp. His big hooves would stomp and they'd put all that, those stalks of grain under him and he would just stomp on that grain and then they would remove the ox and that flat area, high flat area, they would call that a threshing floor. So you'll read about a threshing floor. A threshing floor is where there was a separation between the wheat and the chaff. If you want to know about a threshing floor, you can look up a couple places. Aruna had a threshing floor. He owned it. It was a high place. So when David committed a sin, started counting on himself, he knew he had to make a sacrifice. And in those days, to make a sacrifice, they wanted to get as close to God as they could. And so they'd go up to a high mountain to make a sacrifice. And David said, I want to buy that threshing floor from you, Aruna. And Aruna said, I'll give it to you. David said, oh no. I cannot offer God something that costs me nothing. 2 Samuel 24, 24. So he bought it from him. That threshing floor was a high place. It was a rock. That is the place where David made his sacrifice on behalf of the people and for himself. And God healed them. That's the place where, that's Moriah. That's where Solomon built the first temple. It was built on a threshing floor where there was a separation. Something had to be removed for something of value to exist. Health begins when something is removed and something of value exists. This is why when you read about Gideon who is hiding because there's an enemy, they, they take all their food, he's hiding in a big, huge wine vat. It's probably not very high, almost like a big, huge tub where they would put all of the, of the grapes in and then they would, they would smash the grapes and, and, and they would make their grape juice or their wine. It's empty. He's inside of the wine vat. He's trying to thresh grain, but there's no wind. So that means any grain that he, he gets out of that and they would make bread, there's these little sharp pieces in the bread. It doesn't taste right. Because the chaff is inside of the bread. He can't separate them. That bread is no good. You, don't ever, you would never want to eat a loaf made from Gideon's, Gideon's stove. You don't ever want to eat that. That's a bad loaf of bread. 
and it makes you angry and bitter. And every time you eat a piece of Gideon's bread, you remember how miserable life is. <laughs> and the angel of the Lord came to Gideon and said, Gideon, thou mighty man of valor. Boy, that's the, about the lowest. And that's why Gideon said, I'm from the least of the tribes and I'm the least of my tribe. And look where I'm at. If the Lord is on our side, where is he? I'm in a wine vat. I couldn't even take my grain outside because they'll steal it from me. So what has to happen to that? Something has to be removed. If you want a spiritual healthy life, it's not a legislation from New Life Fellowship. I don't legislate spiritual healthy people. I offer the word. I'll I'll preach the word. I'll pray for you. I'll pray with you. But if you want to be spiritually healthy, it begins here tonight by removing things out of your life. If you want 2023 and beyond to be the best year you've ever experienced, here's what you do. You dig down to the core and you start to remove things you know. This is not really necessary. This doesn't please the Lord. Amen. That's right. We know. We know. So let's dissect Psalm chapter 1. Blessed is the man. He's blessed. I want to be blessed. I've seen people that are blessed. What causes the blessings? What causes it? Well, incredibly enough, Psalm, the, the, the entire writing of Psalms begins with what not to do. It's what you have to remove. Three aspects. Where he does not walk, where he does not stand, and where he does not sit. That is the first thing you do. You remove yourself from certain places and certain people. Now, these are both literal and figurative. So, this is not just a literal things, but this is also, it's also figurative. It's not just figurative, it's also literal. Now, we're all in pursuit of verse 3, but there's a few things that you got. I'll, I'll, let's go over verse 3. I love verse 3. He's blessed. He's a tree planted. The location is by rivers of water. That means he's continually fed. It's strength. Uh, they have found a tree. It's about, um, it, it's, a, it's a pretty good sized tree. It's not the largest tree in the world by any means. But they found the taproot. It's incredible. The taproot, the, the farthest taproot they found was 400 feet deep. Can you imagine? So much of life is what we make it on the outside. But when your roots are that deep, it's hard to knock it over. You will not be swayed by conflict or distress the deeper your roots are. There comes a time in your life when you need to say, listen, I'm planted by rivers of living water, and I'm so deep you couldn't run me out of this faith if you tried. You couldn't offend me away from this place. You couldn't hurt me. Nothing can stop me because my roots are deep. Now, if your roots are shallow, one conflict, one strong wind, one major thing, it'll blow you over and you'll just blow away. But the deeper your roots are, now you may not look like you're, you're, you're this magnificent tree because the taproot does not... There's no relationship. You would never know when they found this tree. They, would, they never would have thought, well, this, this tree is not, it's not 150 feet high. It's not, it's not the biggest tree out there. But, but that tree has such powerful roots spread out and, and the deep roots. It, it is what we used to know as P. 
pillars of the church, men and women who held up the church that were not always seen. They, they were not always known, but they were always present. They, they were always there. They always had a word of faith. They always were faithful. They were always givers, lovers, prayer warriors, worshipers. That is what makes the church strong. Now watch this. On the outside, it's thin. And then you kind of go down like almost a funnel. A new church is just a flat line thin. That means you got about, I don't know, maybe 10 years or less in. People are fresh, new, a lot of baptisms, wonderful. This is what's happening in, in our North American churches when someone starts a new church, a daughter work, or a preaching point. It's just a real flat line. May not be a whole lot of people, 20 people, but they're all brand new Christians or brand new to the Pentecostal experience. If it's just this way, that means there's no new people. The only people are getting baptized are grandchildren and great-grandchildren. There's been no revival. I'm not saying that's not bad. It's, it's, I'm not saying it's bad for our children and grandchildren to be baptized in Jesus' name, but really it should be expected of us. Otherwise, we're not teaching them when they get up in the morning, when they're walking by the way. I'm rejoicing that, that our kids are getting the Holy Ghost getting baptized. I'm rejoicing. But that is an expectation. That should be our expectation. In fact, when we come in here, there should be an expectation of worship. I'm expecting there ought to be a powerful worship come Sunday when we walk when we walk in here and the faith has risen so high. I expect that. I expect someone to be speaking in tongues even if they already have it. Someone ought to be praising. Why? Because that's what we do. We praise, we worship, we shout, we sing, we pray. We take authority. I have an expectation that all the serpents and scorpions and the de- demonic things are subject to me and they are under my feet. I have an expectation. I have power with the Lord. I have an expectation of that because it's in the Word. If it's just deep, however, that means you have heritage, but you have no outreach. But a healthy church has both. A healthy church has both. And so what we're looking for are new folks that will, that will, that will learn about the, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we're also praying for stability for people who know and say, this is what I am, not just what I do. This is who I am. This is where I am. Amen. And so that is the tree planted. And the longer you're planted, the more you're blessed. All right. Amen. Not fancy, but I'll tell you right now, you're blessed. You just get planted in the church and you'll be blessed. How about make a commitment for the rest of your life? I'll tell you, I'll make a commitment. I'll be with you till I die. A couple years. He's, he has a location. Here's number three. Fruit is promised. Fruit. Fruit. That is, that is coming from him. That's coming from her. That is something that is born out of their own life. His leaf, his life, this is called sustaining or being sustained. You are sustained. 
How can you be sustained, ladies and gentlemen? That means that when you go through low times, he carries you through. That means things last longer than they should. That means when you should be down, you're not down. When you should have crumbled, you stood strong. You're sustained. That means that, means that you can be young and old. You've never seen the righteous forsaken or a seed begging for bread. You're sustained. That means when you should be falling into deep depression and despair like most of the world and you've got all kinds of major issues, God sustains you. That means like, like when, Larry and, when Larry and Lori Hutchings brought their son to the hospital and his eye was bulging and, and 24 hours later he, he had, Oliver had a surgery. And on the way to the hospital to have the surgery, he's in the back seat saying, it's okay, I've memorized the scripture. He was in Bible quizzing at the time. And what's happening right now? They're sustained. And they're loving God. That doesn't mean you don't go through conflict and heartache and pain and maybe have a few questions now and then. But your, your root was deep and you were sustained because you were planted by the river of living water. And you couldn't be blown over because you were sustained. God sustained you. Amen. And finally, whatever, say whatever. Whatever he does prospers. Now whatever he does, it prospers. How about being a prospering person? Why? Because you have removed something. It does not begin with a blessing. It begins with where you sit, stand, and walk. This leads me to this thought about what is not. What is not. And I'm always interested in what is not. Not just what is. I can see what is often. But what appears is often the telltale of what it does not appear. <laughs> I don't, I'm not trying to get too philosophical with you. I just, I just want you to know that people exhibit certain traits because what did not happen in their life was there was no affirmation. They, they go through certain things because they're trying to, they're trying to recover the painful rejection of the earlier years. So what is, um, is a reflection really of what is not. There was not love, so now this is what is. What is is also, if you just look at that, you, you don't realize, how did you get there? Well, they removed certain things from their life. That's how they became spiritually strong, because they just removed it. It's okay not to know everything. It's okay not to know everything about the world. It's okay not to know every song lyric. It's okay not to know every, every show. It's okay not to know all the things that are going on in the world. It's okay. Know about the Lord. It's okay not to know about everyone's life. It's all right not to know. It's okay not to troll. It's okay. You, you don't have to know. It's all right. Even if it, if it doesn't concern you, it's okay not to know. Even if it does concern you. <laughs> there's, there's a certain freedom in not knowing everything that's going on with everyone else. It's a, it's a freedom. I, I don't know if you've experienced that kind of freedom. I want to set you free. I hope you set yourself free. It's a beautiful thing. Paul said, you know, I determined to know nothing more than Jesus Christ and him crucified. 
Why did he determine? He was brilliant. But he said, I just, let me just pare it down for you. I don't want to know anything more than Jesus Christ and him crucified. You can take all the philosophy of the world, but I'll take him. Yes. See, the power of verse 3 is where everyone wants to be. I want to be there. That's what I want. This is akin to the utopia of being blessed. It's, man, if I can get to verse 3, that strength, that's God's provisions, that's the Lord's blessing. But verse 3 doesn't come first. The planted tree and the rivers of water, all the sustaining of life and fruit, all that prospering is secondary to what is not. What is not. The very first thing concerning spiritual healthy lifestyles is what is removed, not what is added. Don't add anything. Start removing. When you start removing things, you'll find out how much freedom you actually have. It's kind of like eating really good, I'm sorry, eating really bad, um, I don't know, pick whatever you think is bad. Uh, uh, there, are, there are restaurants, I don't know if you all know this, but there are restaurants, they're not required to serve you actual 100% meat. There's allowances in the FDA that gives Taco Bell room for foreign substances in their taco meat. This is the truth. <laughs> and when they say 100% ground beef, it means all the ground beef is 100%. <laughs> now, when I really want to be super bad, I... And, and I only do it like every other year. I go to White Castle. And I get about three of those White Castles and they, they taste so good. But later, I have major indigestion. I repent and, and I ask someone to rebaptize me after I'm done with that because I so, feel so far from God. Just a joke. But what happens is if you want to get to three, but you don't remove anything, it's like eating really bad, but then taking a whole lot of vitamins. <laughs> You're eating a whole lot of substances that are really, it's living a real bad life, but then you, then, okay, I'm going to read my Bible, but then I'm going to just going to do whatever I want. It, it's, it's, it's counterintuitive and doesn't work. It doesn't offset you. Let me just name some names because I'm, because that's, now I'm at this point and I'm, I probably shouldn't, but. The, the, the gentleman, he died in a, in a, in a terrible air, uh, helicopter accident. He was a basketball player. He had an affair with a woman in Colorado. She accused him of, 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 of a wrong affair, but it wasn't an affair. He admitted to that. After his affair, he went back home. He bought his wife a brand-new diamond ring and his mother-in-law a Mercedes-Benz. I'm just going to tell you that the diamond ring, the $4 million diamond ring and Mercedes-Benz, did not make up for the affair. There's a, there's a famous weightlifter, one of the Olympians, probably the biggest name out there. Uh, he'd always, his catch line was, I'll be back. <clears throat> yeah, and now he's touted, he's this great guy. But the problem was with him is that he had a long-standing affair with, 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 with the housekeeper and had a baby with the housekeeper and hid his, his illegitimate son for decades until finally it was revealed. His illegitimate son looks exactly like him. But... But 
he decided that he would do some good things to make up for it. It doesn't make up for it, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> no. And so the fact of the matter is, if you're going to be spiritually healthy, strong in the Lord, and I, I'm going to, as we move along, I'm going to tell you what that looks like. It's going to excite you. When, you. when you become a spiritual, healthy person, you're going to see things you've never seen before and do things you've never done before in your natural life and in the spirit. But you can't get there until you go through verse 1. Yes. It takes an absence of influences contrary to God and his, and his word. The, the term is holy. Holy simply means set apart. When I say we have to be a holy people, it means we are set apart. Holiness simply means the act of being set apart. Holiness is both inward and outward. It's both internal, heart, mind, and actions. Holiness is not one segment, but it's all of life. And so you're not just, you're not just, um, um, set apart to something, but you're set apart from something. And you cannot get to where you need to be until you separate yourself from where you are to get to where God wants you to be. And so, for a moment, I'm just reviewing these three places because of the change. And the first change involves direction. Walk not in the counsel of the ungodly. They're going in a direction. Don't walk with them. Now, now this is, a, this is a, a concept of the world. This is a philosophical concept of the world. This ideology of the world. But it also could be people that you know. It could be family members that are, they're ungodly. They give ungodly counsel. Don't walk in that direction. Don't follow the counsel of those who lead you away from, the, from godliness and holiness. To walk godly demands an absence of the voices that are ungodly. It, it, boy, it sounds so simple, but in a more basic view, it means not taking direction or advice or instructions from those who are not of God. They're not of God. Someone told me about a, uh, their, their mentor, and I said, well, is their mentor saved? No. Well, then you don't need that mentor. Yes, but they're real smart, and they know a lot of things. But if they're smart and they know a lot of things, they'll send you in a direction that leads you to a secular lifestyle that's void of God. Their rebuttal was, well, I can filter that. No, you cannot filter that. Don't trust your ability to resist a worldly success. You may not be able to resist a worldly success. Amen. And so this is a direction. The first area is direction. Letter B, the change involves a physical removal of oneself, physical removal. It has been taught that you probably are who you are with. I'm not like them, they're just my friends. <laughs> really? Well, then you are like them. The way of sinners is a lifestyle. If the lifestyle is unholy, ungodly, then spiritual endeavors are not existence. Now, let me just let me just add this to you because tonight because I, 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 wanna, I want to address this idea that, that the church tends to isolate 
people from the world. As if exposure to the world makes you better or well-rounded. It does not. The, if the accusation comes, well, your church just isolates. I would say insulate. But if it's an isolation, so be it. Light hath no fellowship with darkness, and I'd rather you be numb and uneducated about the horrible things than be exposed and then try to negotiate with the wolf, with the lion, with the bear, with the snake, with the serpent. I'll, I'll just tell you, we don't have to introduce all kinds of nasty stuff. There's enough. No one is ever going to walk through America today and not be inundated with sinful and horrible activities. Those days are over. Leave it to Beaver has left. He left with Elvis, I think. Here's letter C. The seed of the scornful. I put this down, but I want you to write some other things in here because I, it's, it's, it's too vast. It's the casting of, eye, of the eye or the eyesight. The seed of the scornful, it has multiple different looks. And, and one look, the scornful, they ridicule. Or you could use the word mockery. The seed of the scornful also employs self-justification or even self-sufficiency. Um, the know-it-all. It could also be one which points out flaws in other people. So to provide cover for themselves, they expose the hypocrisy in other people. The seat has eyes on failings of other folks. It, it, it blames. It's, it's sitting in a view and it's casting that seat is often occupied by people who are dissatisfied in their own life. And so they become scornful of other folks. And I, I don't feel like that, that spirit and that position is in this room. I don't feel like it's in our church. But, but always be careful that you don't, you don't get into that seat of mockery or self-justification or pointing out the failings to cover something in your life. There's a thing called projection that happens a lot. Projection. Uh, projection is, is when you, you're dealing with a problem and then you accuse someone else of dealing with that problem. You, know, you, you project your problem on someone else. And that, that, that's a deflection also. You deflect. You, you know, I really feel like you, you have a bad spirit. <laughs> when really, you know, I'm the one harboring the bad spirit, but I'm telling you, you know, you, you have this issue. <laughs> and and, and we, we see that happening, and that, that usually comes from someone who seats, sits in the seat of the scornful. And you've got to get out of that seat. One of the reasons why you've got to get out of the seat is because you're going to have to deal with yourself. And until you deal with yourself, you don't have time to deal with anyone else. You've got a big, huge board, a big, massive board in your own eye. 
But the scornful starts to pick out specks and sawdust in the eyes of someone else. Yeah. And I want to tell you, if you look around any church, you're going to find a lot of issues with people. And I'm one of them. And you can find a lot of issues with me. If you really want to know what my problems are, don't wonder. Just come, I'll tell you. Save you a lot of time. But just so you know that sitting in the seat of the scornful, it damages you. It damages you more than anyone else, but it does damage other people. And you never become blessed because you never, you can never climb into verse three. Because you are, you are, you are wasting away in a critical seat. It's a judgmental seat. It's a, it sometimes, it's a pharisaical seat. It's a place where you castigate everyone else, but you never deal with you. Amen. I want to get to verse three, but I struggle because if, if I'm following the advice of the world, I'm walking, standing, and sitting in all the wrong places with all the wrong people. Eventually, it comes to naught. Eventually. This has happened so many times for hundreds and hundreds of years. Do not believe that you are exempt, that you can get in any of these places and you'll be okay. You won't be okay, and you won't be spiritually healthy, and you'll have a facade. You'll have a form of godliness, but you'll deny his power. You'll deny his cross. You'll deny his lo- You'll deny the death. You won't be a disciple because you've, you've had no, you've, 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 you've given up any, nothing and, and you, you, you keep dealing with the same issues over and over again. But I submit to you that if you're going to be spiritually healthy, you have to make sure your location is correct. That's, that starts in the heart. Let's just finish here a little bit with some natural health. Um, uh, about this time of year, it's, you know, you go into a store, it's now it's diet and exercise, you know, 30 days. Um, we've, we've met it many times, 10 days. The, the physician actually has said uh, new studies. I got some new studies that are just really great. Um, it's, it, you know, it's, you don't consume the wrong thing. Um, and one writer wrote that many people want to ingest a substance to make them feel better when in reality they should stop ingesting what they're currently consuming. It, this is kind of like for a five-year-old, but I think this, they keep putting these th- same things out. He wrote, new addition matters little if the current consumption remains. Hmm. I don't know what the IQ is of the collective nation, but it's... I think it's, I think it's falling, um, because basically what the, what he's trying to say is, if you stop eating bad food, you'll feel better. Hmm. If you if you stop, the, one physician wrote, well, first to have a healthy life, first stop smoking, vaping, and stop drinking any alcohol. Well, huh? I, I thought the church was talking about that a long time ago. No. 
until these guys come out and say it. And then, of course, nobody listens to them. So thus, tonight, what is not becomes the path of health for your body. So if you consume worldly ideas and thoughts and information, any additional measure probably won't matter to your spiritual health. That's right. Because the first level is the most difficult one to accomplish. You're always going to come back to this first lesson. This first lesson is going to be repeated during the course of your life many, many times. Faith is spiritual health. It's part of your spiritual health. But if words of doubt and fear enter your mind and your mouth all the time, then faith can't exist. We can't get to our faith if our words are filled with skepticism and complaint. And as I was writing and reading, I, I, I wrote that God spoke to the people of Israel through his prophets. At times he commanded them to forsake their gods. And the prophets then called for the removal of high places and groves and Asher poles. God said, I'm not going to live there. I'm not going to be with you. They were called to leave all of that and then follow him. In Isaiah 55 and 7, let the wicked forsake his way, the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return unto the Lord. He will have mercy upon him and, our, and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. I'll repeat this. Forsake your way, leave your thoughts, return. Mercy is given and pardon is granted. Forsake, leave, then go back. Mercy comes, pardon is granted. The pattern is the eternal pattern of redemption, ladies and gentlemen. Death, leave, removal, Abandon the old nature discarded. How do you get to the new? You get to the new by getting rid of the old. That's right. The problem is we want to retain the old way. We justify patterns of thought. Some people don't perceive what they're doing is wrong. And they don't see a point in changing. Of course, I would add the addendum to that is until it's too late. And then you deal with major regret. We negotiate, we compromise, never truly making a change. Here's the problem. And the problem is that we haven't gone back to God. If you want spiritual health, if you want this, here's a wonderful place to start. It's called the genesis of prayer. The genesis of prayer. The book of Genesis. In the beginning, God created. That is the genesis. It's the beginning The beginning of prayer is the cleansing of your heart. Here it is. Psalm 51, verse 10. Create, create, create. Genesis chapter 1, God created. Psalm 51, 10, there's a new desire for a creation. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a right spirit. Renew within me a right spirit. Let's just do this really quickly. The exposition of Psalm 51.10. Create. That's a Genesis moment. It's a Genesis moment. When you are struggling, you get down on your knees. You drive in your car and you say, Lord, create in me a clean heart. Because out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. It's, it's the heart. Let the heart be clean. The rest of it follows the heart. The heart is the leader of it. In me, a clean heart. In me means it's a personal recognition. You personally recognize something has to change. The current mind or thought or action is corrupt. There's got to be a confession. Something is corrupt in me, and I've got to change it. 
And today, it's time for you to change something. Tonight is time. I want you to be, I want you to be free in the Holy Ghost. I want you to have liberty in your own life. I want when you wake up tomorrow, there's a new presence and a new spirit in your home. There's something changing in your life. Because God wants to endow you with true power and peace. And the way to do that is start to remove things that's clogging up your life and clogging up your mind and clogging up your spirit. It's, one man calls it a spiritual detox. A detox is, is removing things from, from your own spirit. The spiritual detox is I've got to get rid of some thoughts and some skepticisms and some hate and some anger and I've got to employ forgiveness and I've got to, I've got to free myself. When you forgive other people, you're not freeing them, you're freeing yourself. Free yourself. Be free. And let, let this year begin with, with this new genesis of, of prayer. Create God a new, something new. Create a new heart. Renew something in me. And it starts with Removal. The first step, the first level of spiritual health starts with removal. What are you saying? What are you thinking? What are you doing that needs to change? And for every person in this house, that word is different. It's not the same for everybody. It's not the same. What one person has to change and remove, another person is not dealing with that. But each of us have something we've got to remove out of our lives. I'll, I'll, just, I'll share a couple of with you, and they're not on your paper. How about complaint? How about complaint? What did Pastor Shock say at the end of the service on Sunday? He said, let's get rid of petty. Anyone hear him say that? Petty. Oh, man. we got to get rid of things that are trivial. That's trivial. We have emotions spent on trivial things that don't matter. We've just got all excited or hyped up or depressed or angry about something. It didn't matter. The trivial has consumed us. So I would say get rid of trivial. Just, just abandon that and say, okay, I'm going to go after what's important. What does God want? What does the kingdom desire? What does the Lord want out of me? The complaint. The complaint. You can spend your whole life complaining and, and never, never solve anything, the complaint. You can spend your whole walk with God just angry or feeling like, like, like you're not worthy or, or, or whatever, those, whatever those issues are. But that's, those are the things you've got to stop doing. And you've got to say, okay, this is a new day. I'm going to start changing some things. The way I speak, the way I worship, the way I love, the way I give, the way, the way I live. Everything's going to be different. I'm taking something out. Amen. Amen. Now, I wish this was an easy path, but this is going to be a challenge. But I, I hope you accept the challenge. And I believe that as we progress here, even in this month, God is going to do something miraculous in this house. I, I'm going to tell you what I saw. I'm done teaching. I saw people for the first time in my mind, in my spirit, lay hands on someone and they were healed. But I've never seen them yet lay hands on anyone. But that day's coming because you're going to be spiritually strong. You have boldness in the Holy Ghost. It's going to start because you're removing something from your life. 
You don't think you can right now. In fact, you probably think I'm talking about somebody else, but I'm talking about you. You're going to speak the word of faith, and someone's going to be delivered. You can be used in the gift of prophecy. You don't have to be a prophet. God will give you that gift. He might give it to you for a moment of time, but the word of prophecy, the word of wisdom, the word of knowledge, it's coming out of here. This place can be filled with spiritual gifts. Amen. And I know how we're going to get there. We're going to get there because first, we're going to start removing something from our lives. Everybody said in Jesus' name. Now, Lord, I thank you for your word. And I pray right now, Lord, help us to endeavor to look into our own lives, into the core of who we are. And help us to begin this process right now tonight as we start to remove something from our life. We want to make more room for your spirit and more room for your voice and more room for our obedience, Lord. So I pray tonight, let this be the ground floor of what will become an explosive Holy Ghost revival that affects our neighbors, our homes, our families, our friends, our jobs, our schools, everywhere we go, I pray. And I pray, Lord, there'd be a renewed and an increased sensitivity to your spirit because we remove something that's impeding your voice. I prayed in the name of Jesus, and I thank you for it. And all the people said in Jesus' name.